welcome to the Classroom in Your Living Room podcast. I am acting as your host. My name is Trisha Murphy, and I serve as the Development Director within the College of Education at MTSU. Now, this is a, a fun opportunity for us to connect with so many of our alumni and friends, and we know that so many of us are finding ourselves at home with children, juggling responsibilities, and yet still wanting to ensure that our students and our, our children are moving forward. Okay, so we are here today with our experts in special education within the College of Education, and I will just tell you all, I am so looking forward to the conversation that we have today. First, we have Dr. Tom Black, who serves as professor of special education, along with Dr. Alicia Pence, an assistant professor of special education. Thank you all both for being here. We are so happy to be here, Tricia. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Now, I will tell you all that Dr. Tom Black really emphasizes in severe disabilities as we engage today in a conversation around special education. And Dr. Alicia Pence really has an emphasis on mild to severe disabilities. So we know that today's topic is going to range from child to child to student to student, parent to parent. And we know that we're going to have very different populations today. Just to kind of start out here, we know that special education is a very broad term. We're going to have a lot of different types of children and, you know, our, our really our range here is in intellectual and physical. So Dr. Alicia Pence, do you mind telling us a little bit more about who we're talking to today and are we even talking to students without disabilities? Sure, Tricia, that's a great question. So when we talk about the world of disabilities, um, that's a very broad term. Some students with very mild disabilities might have very mild autism. They might have a very mild intellectual disability or things like learning disabilities. And those students typically spend the majority of their day in an inclusive, general ed classroom. So they might have special ed teachers coming in to provide supports. They might have some paraprofessionals in there also providing supports. But typically, those students do really well. They just need a little extra support in the general ed classroom. And so that's kind of at the mild end of the spectrum of special ed. And then if we go on down even to the severe end of the spectrum, those students might require intensive supports to function every day in school, at home, in their communities. And so oftentimes those students will spend a lot of their days in more of a self-contained classroom where they're getting intensive supports and working on a few priority skills. Lots of times those are related to functional life skills, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So really, Trisha, I'm glad you said that because that's a caveat to everything Dr. Black and I will be discussing today is that, you know, the world of disabilities, it's all encompassing. We're going to be giving some more general insights. Um, hopefully some pointers that will help parents, educators, whoever's listening today, regardless of the severity of the disability. So we'll try to keep it a little more general at times to kind of capture more, you know, individuals in our conversation. Does that help a little bit? It does help. And, you know, I'll just say as a parent of a child without disabilities, we get kind of prickly about this, right? It feels almost awkward. That's a different world that I don't live in. And so I'm not even going to 
act like I understand. And so therefore I'm not going to listen or, or to partake in this information. And I think that that is such a disservice to a world where we share lots of differences and we want to love and really cherish every individual well. So, you know, if you're still listening and maybe you don't have a child with disabilities, I would just challenge you to, to listen. It has been so helpful already for me to learn and to just with an open palm say, I'm going to take this information in and I'm actually going to be a better parent and, and member of society for listening today. So I want to start off by saying, gosh, these parents are juggling a, a lot right now. They're in these homes. We're now entering into a phase of this quarantine where we are able to get out again. And for any child, it, it's hard to understand why do I have to wear a mask right now? Let's first start about within the home. We're not trying to recreate the classroom, right? So what can we do at home right now and still learn and still move forward with these students? There's a lot of discussion right now in the disability community from families. They're upset about their children being at home and, and not getting the education and those IEP, those individualized educational plans and programs, which we know is at the heart of education for kids with disabilities. To that point, we should not be recreating the classroom structure at home. We can't do that as parents. I am also a parent of a child with a disability, so I'm speaking from a personal stance here as well. So we should never try to recreate those classrooms, but what we can do is we can focus on some new priorities, perhaps. We've been in quarantine now for a couple of months. So what are some new goals that are coming to the surface that we can now take our time with our children and work on some of those priority skills? So we talked about functional life skills. I mentioned that earlier. That can be domestic skills, cooking in the kitchen. That can be helping with chores around the house. Functional life skills really is a very broad term, really talking about those daily living skills, things that you need to be able to do every day. So as a parent, we have spent so much time working on self-care skills. So those are things like getting dressed in the morning. We did not always have time to talk about some of those self-care skills, like getting dressed and what's the importance of brushing your teeth every day, hygienic skills. So now I find myself having all this ample time to do some of that work that I always treasured in the past, but didn't necessarily have the time to, to work on some of those skills. So what I really believe we need to do as opposed to recreating the classroom is now think about, okay, we have this really cool opportunity to really work on specific skills that perhaps we were not able to work on. You know, the classroom environment, it's hard to work on skills like brushing your teeth. We can still do that before or after lunch or before or after breakfast, but it's really awesome to be able to do that in your own home. And even skills like laundry, sweeping, cooking. So I think we just have to kind of refocus. We have to reprioritize as, as parents and really take advantage of this whole new opportunity to work on a whole new set of skills that we haven't had in the past. Absolutely. Dr. Black, is there anything you might add to that for those who really, you know, with this emphasis on severe disabilities? I think that the home is the better classroom for a lot of functional life skills. Some of the things they learn, like the hygiene, dressing, domestic skills. When a child goes to school, those have to be stimulated in the classroom. That's really not the natural environment that those skills would occur in. So this will benefit the students also because they can associate the correct stimuli and times that they should do these things, again, because it would occur within the context of their natural day as opposed to 
many times we have to create activities in the classroom in order to teach these particular skills. That makes a lot of sense. I think about something that Dr. Pence said of we have a little bit more time now. It's not the six to seven hustle and bustle that we typically experience. It is for my child without a disability, we can lay the clothes out. We can say, hey, when you are dressed, you get a star on our rewards chart and he's learning those skills. Okay, now you get another star for brushing your teeth. Will you go get the toothpaste? Dr. Robin Ridgely, on our first episode of this podcast series, she said, you know, I should not be expected to do more work because I'm working at home. You know, she has older school age children than I do. But James, I've asked him some mornings, hey, bud, do you want to do the vacuum? If you all have hardwood floors, you know, this is like the Wild West in terms of dust. Every single day, we're, it seems like we're vacuuming. Well, he's been able to help me a lot with that, even at age four. So thank you for, for saying that and for speaking to functional life skills at every level here. Thank you both. Now, I'll confess, it's been stressful, everybody. I, I don't think that I have been mute in that point at all. It's stressful to work from home right now. It's stressful to be a parent at home right now. How can we manage family familial stress right now? It's, it's a lot. Yes, it is. And I'm living that as we speak. So my um, husband has taken our son out for a little walk so I could do this podcast. But, you know, I have learned throughout this process just to have grace for my students, grace for myself, grace for my son, my husband. We are in unprecedented times. None of us are going to do this perfectly. We don't do life perfectly. When we look at the research, we know that familiar stress is high. It's higher for families of kids with disabilities in comparison to families without children with disabilities. So there is a professor from the University of Illinois at uh, Carbondale, Dr. Wendy Fuchs, who is great. She's written a book called Mindfulness for Students. And I just go to her Facebook page. She'll do mindfulness trainings and they're free. They're open to everyone. And they're great. So I, what I've gotten into a new routine is every morning my son wakes up, we've established a new routine. It takes a couple of weeks for him to, to understand some of those new routines. But we also start with mindfulness every day. So believe it or not, I have a four-year-old who does, he can do a yoga pose and he can actually do the small little chant. It's adorable, but it's a way for him to center himself. And so part of that mindfulness train of thought, um, it's all about awareness. So awareness of your breath, awareness of your body, just being open, um, having gratitude, thinking about, am I being kind to myself? Am I being kind to others? So Dr. Fuchs does a really cool little breath awareness exercise. So for about five minutes, you can time yourself and you just breathe in really deeply for a few seconds, hold it for a few seconds and then release. But as you're doing this breathing technique, and I do this with a four-year-old with autism, mind you, as you're doing this breathing technique, you're not focusing on the breath. Here's the mindfulness part. You're really paying attention to the physical symptoms of your body. So the way that your nose might tingle a little bit as you breathe in deeply, as you hold it for a few seconds, how your chest might relax, and then your body's response perhaps as you're pushing out that breath. So we start our day every, for the past month, 
we have started our day doing some of this breath awareness, mindfulness work. When my son started this process, when I knew we were going into quarantine, I went in and, and found some social stories. And if you've never heard of social stories, there it's a pretty um, common learning tool that we use in the world of, of disabilities. But you can create social stories very simply on your own. You can just take pictures of real life things or find some clip art online and you just write stories around those pictures to help with transition. So the very beginning to help with stress for my son, I found actually a really good example of a coronavirus social story online. And you can find tons of them, by the way, at pbisworld.com. They have tons of social stories. So you can adapt these, you can change them. But we went through at the very beginning of this and I said, look, he, get, he usually goes to McDonald's once a week on Friday and he gets a Happy Meal. And I said, oh, McDonald's might not be open. The playgrounds might not be open. And we, so I created this whole social stories, I, a social story that I adapted from an example I'd found online. And it was pretty awesome. So he was talking about the coronavirus back in, I don't know, late March. He knew exactly what it was and it really helped with that transitioning and it helped lower his stress because he, his expectations had shifted. So there's lots of strategies we can do to help with some of that familiar stress, mindfulness, and using social stories can be really helpful. So one thing that I know is on all of our minds as parents is that we are not really on lockdown necessarily anymore. We're approaching week 11 of all of this. What does that mean for families as we're transitioning or we're establishing new routines? So Dr. Black, what would you say for parents who have these children with severe disabilities during this time? Well, as you say, I think we're somewhat beginning to get back to normal and there are a lot of skills that students, uh, especially older students or students as they get into middle school and high school, their environments expand to the community. And so a lot of the skills we teach the students with more severe disabilities are built around activities that would be involved in the community. I think it's an opportunity for families to take advantage of getting out, even though it's going to be limited, certainly for a while, but getting back into some of those routines you typically would do and take advantage of some of those community skills, whether it's getting to go shopping or, or making a list, safety things, especially now. I truly do think there are opportunities to provide something that we as educators are kind of limited in doing when we only have students, you know, for seven hours a day when the rest of the time is spent, you know, with family at home. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you so much. That's good advice. Dr. Pence, what would you say to those students who really, you know, have mild to severe disabilities um, from your perspective as we think about transitioning back to a routine or really just a whole new routine? Right. And that is a big question. It's on a lot of our minds as um, educators, as parents. You know, I don't have a perfect answer here. It's going to take time when we think about establishing new routines. I would start the conversation now within your home, regardless of the age of your child. Start talking about, you know, wearing the mask. Start practicing within your home wearing the mask. My son is hyper-focused on cars, so I had a, a mask made for him that's actually little cars because I knew that would kind of be somewhat of an incentive for him to wear it. We practiced at home. And so once he got comfortable wearing it in the home, we wore it one day when he went out for a bike ride. So now he puts on, I'll say, put on your mask, and it's really not that big of a deal. You could create some social stories around it, you know, just dialogue. Heck, we do puppet theater here all day long where we make little hand puppets. We could 
also draw a little uh, face mask on one of our puppets and talk about why they're wearing the face mask. So there's a multitude of, of strategies and ways that parents, you know, do what comes natural to you. Don't ever force it. So we would never want to put on a mask and say, okay, you're going to have to start wearing this when we go outside that probably would not be um, positively reinforced for your child. So think about strategies and techniques that work for your unique child. I would also say another caveat here is don't push your child. There are some days when I'm trying to establish a new routine with my son that he's just not in it for whatever reason. I definitely have learned not to push him too much on those days. You know, something that happened even just yesterday <laughs> that you and I were prepping for this podcast, we have sons that are about the same age. I mean, they're like literally, what, six weeks apart. As you mentioned, your son has a mild disability. Mine is without a disability. He was in the background doing what both of our kids do, just, you know, needing something or wanting something or whatever it might be. And first of all, you didn't apologize for his behavior, which I think as parents right now, we want to do. You said something really impactful to me because really you prioritized his feelings first and saw it through his lens. I started teaching online classes from first thing this morning. We have a different routine. I've been in front of the computer all day. You know, that's a stimulant as well for any child. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we're undergoing some stress right now in our home. And I thought that was so important. And even just the way that I conduct work right now, because I can get very focused on, okay, my kid's the problem. I need to read more love and logic. I need to put in another reward you know, whatever it might be. I'd love for you to speak, Dr. Pence, just for a minute about, about that. And then also, what are some good strategies that we can put into place in our home that are more of a positive motivation? Absolutely. So I think we unapologetically say this is our life, this is our new normal, and we're all adapting to the best of our abilities. So if you're in any of my classes that have now transitioned to online, you will see Preston, my son, in a lot of my lectures. And so I, I kind of prepare my students beforehand and let them know sometimes he might come up and he might interrupt us and that's okay. I will do my best to redirect him, but sometimes we might just have to call it quits. And so when I ask students to give that level of grace to me and my family, I also, in return, give them that same level of grace. So I'm teaching a graduate course right now, and I just had a student reach out yesterday, and she said, I'm really struggling. I've got a one-year-old and a four-year-old at home, and this is hard. I'm doing the best I can. So I think we all have to come to this place of understanding of it's okay. We're going to do the best we can in this situation. So I completely agree with you on that, Tricia. You also asked about, you know, strategies. What can we do to help positively motivate our children? We have to find what works, what motivates our individual children. And it's hard, right? So on Fridays, my son, his big motivational, I call it a token reward economy system. That, that's kind of the jargon that we use in the field to positively shape behaviors that we want to see more of. So in the past, we would always go to Target on Fridays if he had earned his reward that week. So we've adapted and we do Target online. There's ways to adapt. So don't over think some of these things. You know, small behavior charts, Trisha, you talked about a sticker chart earlier. Every time your child would go and brush his teeth, I can't remember your example, but he gets a sticker for that. That's exactly what, when you're shaping behavior, when you're teaching new routines, there's two things that are really important. You need to be very clear in your directions and you need to be consistent. So if you're giving him a sticker every day after he brushes his teeth, it's good because it's more immediate. 
every day, make sure you follow that same routine. And you're very clear about here's how you receive that award. So small things like that will work over time. You can start to fade that sticker chart and maybe, okay, you get a sticker instead of every day that you brush your teeth, every two days you brush your teeth. And then after a little bit of doing that, maybe every five days you'll get a sticker if you brush your teeth Monday through Friday. So you can kind of fade that incentive over time. So it just becomes part of the natural routine for that particular child. Um, redirection's important. Some of my friends were talking about their children at home were doing this Disney World online where you can ride different roller coasters. It sounded great, right? And I'm like, okay, Preston, we're going to do this. We're going to ride a big roller coaster at Disney World. And he totally got overstimulated through a fit. And I thought this was not a good idea. So sometimes if it doesn't work, right, we can redirect. We can try new strategies and things to motivate our children. And we don't always know, right? We're in a new environment. We're kind of locked in at home still for the most part. So trying new things. I thought as a parent, my child will love this. We'll go and do this online ride. But he didn't love it. And that's okay. Again, giving yourself grace and realizing let me try something else. You know, just knowing that it, it, we don't have all the answers right now. And that is okay. It, we're not expected to. Well, I just am so grateful for both of you and your time today in this important special education podcast. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your good work. And um, is there anything else you would want to tell parents right now who are at home um, with these important students? Hang in there. We're all in the same boat in a way. I have children, they don't have disabilities, but they have more independence and are wanting to do more things. So I can just say, hang in there to all parents. Yeah, and I would just follow up and say, you know, don't be intimidated or scared, especially parents out there with children with complex medical health care needs. It brings a whole new set of stressors. Try to be as open-minded as you can as we start transitioning, hopefully, back into some other level of normalcy and we just don't know what that's going to look like so try to be open be flexible don't stress too much about what the future is going to hold none of us can predict that and also one last tip i'll provide is is don't be intimidated where you don't reach out for support my son was recently in speech pathology and i reached out to a speech pathologist and said hey i need some ideas for some activities at home um, I think is getting kind of bored with what I'm doing. And she sent this great file of about 15 activities that I've loved. So reach out for support. Reach out to your child's therapist, their teachers, even neighbors sometimes who might have small children at home can give you some ideas. You know, make sure your circle of support is still there. That's really important as we continue to journey into waters that we have never crossed before. So, you know, keep optimistic. Such good advice. Well, again, I just want to thank you both for being on today and sharing such great wisdom. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you. I invite you all to stay in touch with us online through our social media platforms by phone and, of course, email. Um, all of my information is on the website and as well as in the resources portion of this podcast. I'd love to hear from you and hear how these tips helped. Again, this is Trisha Murphy, and you've been listening to the Classroom in Your Living Room podcast.